Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we have been reading the book of Ruth together. Uh, it is uh, a multi-layered story about love set in turbulent times. Uh, it's about both the kind of love that God has for people like us and the kind of love that God grows in people like us. So now, uh, after a 10-year sojourn, Naomi and Ruth have arrived in Bethlehem, and they have arrived as widows, a uh, small, unlikely family in distress. And Ruth has made her way uh, out into the fields around uh, Bethlehem in order to glean some barley just so that she and her mother-in-law can eat. She doesn't know it yet, but she has made her way into the fertile fields of a relative of her mother-in-law named Boaz, and he has just found out who she is. So let me read the next part of the story for us. I'll read Ruth 2, uh, verses 8 through 16. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me? since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would uh, use this word that we have uh, read together and heard together to meet us, that you would show us the grace of Jesus, show us the shape of our own lives in him, that you would change us. And we prayed in his name. Amen. Well, I'm guessing uh, that some of you, maybe not too many of you, but some of you have probably seen uh, The NeverEnding Story. Uh, it is a, a charming little fantasy movie from 1984, parts of which uh, are cemented into the memory of my generation. Uh, it's about this little kid named Bastion. And uh, the opening scene of the movie uh, establishes that both he and his father are struggling after the recent death of uh, his mom. 
he is struggling. He's fallen behind in school. Uh, he's troubled. He's incredibly pensive in the opening scene. And so in the way that uh, stories work, it's no surprise to us at all um, that as soon as he leaves the house that morning to go to school, he is threatened and then chased by three bullies who throw him into a dumpster. So he eventually escapes from them uh, into a bookstore, and of course the bookstore is where all the fantasy stuff starts. And then at the very end of the movie, Bastion flies back to his home on the back of this big furry dragon named Falcor. And that's where the situation is reversed. Falcor chases these same three bullies from the beginning of the movie uh, into an alley where they have to escape from him by jumping into a dumpster. Well, even if uh, you haven't seen The NeverEnding Story, you know how that ending feels. It feels awesome. And it feels awesome because the one who had been so powerless at the beginning is now being protected by someone with power. That vulnerable kid now has someone looking out for him and defending him. And the truth is, we've been made for stories like that. And it is uh, the centerpiece of the story that we just read together. Ruth, who had left home that morning so vulnerable, uh, so exposed, suddenly finds herself drawn into a web of lavish hospitality and care and protection that overwhelms her. So I think it would be good for us uh, not only to see how that happened, but also to see why that happened. So uh, Boaz, when he uh, noticed Ruth and asked who she was, was doing a very specific thing. He was searching out his responsibility for her. I mean, she was in his fields, and so by God's law and by custom, that made him responsible for her. But you might remember, if you were here last week, that the foreman says to him, well, you know, she's not from around here. She's uh, a foreigner. She's a Moabite from Moab. She's the one who came to Bethlehem with Naomi. Well, that was all um, that Boaz needed to know. He, he had heard about Ruth. And so he knows right away that she is in an incredibly vulnerable position. Being a woman, being a widow made her distinctly vulnerable in that field to abuse and to violence. She's also a foreigner. She's from this place that has a history of conflict, a history of animosity with Israel. She's dislocated, right? She's in an unfamiliar place. She is now surrounded by people she doesn't know, strange people to her. And on top of all of these things, she is poor. She is out that day um, with the most modest of aims. She just would like to survive. She just needs to get enough food for her and her mother-in-law to eat that day. This is Ruth. And she is in an incredibly vulnerable position. And we need to feel the weight of that vulnerability. 
And so Boaz sets out from that very second to use all of his power and to use all of his influence to alleviate every one of those vulnerabilities as best as he possibly can. And he leads, he begins that day with perhaps the most powerful thing that will happen that day. He says, now listen, my daughter. Now that indicates, of course, on the surface level that he's older than her. He can call her daughter. But don't be mistaken, the force of that word runs deep. By calling her daughter, he is calling her family. From that point on, she will not be other to him, and she will not be other to the rest of the clan. She will no longer be a foreigner. He is telling her, you are home now. You are part of this household. And so he can make sure that these aren't simply words, just, you know, not some kind of just sentiment that he says. He begins immediately to back them up with swift action. He tells her first, listen to me, stay put. Do not leave this field. Don't go to any other field. For the entirety of the barley harvest, you can stay right here. I mean, do you remember what it was like when she first showed up into the field? She asked for permission because it wasn't assumed that she'd be able to to glean there after the harvesters. But now... She's never, ever going to have to wonder if that's okay. She's never going to have to wonder if she will be welcome there because she will be welcome. She can stay there. That insecurity was taken away. And then he gives her protection, protection that she definitely needed in that field. He says to her, stay with my young women. You just go with them. Wherever they go, you go. Whatever field they go to, you go to. And he assures her that he has told his young men not to lay a hand on her or they will be answering to him. In fact, he says, you know what? When you're thirsty, you don't even need to draw your own water. You can stroll right up unafraid to the water that the young men have drawn and you can drink all of it you want. He is knocking down every barrier for her that he can think of. And later that day, you know, the work stops so that the harvesters can eat and be refreshed before they finish the day. And at that moment, if if Ruth had any lingering doubt that Boaz and his people would treat her um, as if she is one of them, if she had any lingering doubt it is completely dispersed and erased by a gracious invitation. Boaz invites her in. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Ruth, you sit here. You're with us. And then the piece de resistance, you know, the, the, the worthy man, Boaz, the founder of the feast, passes to her the roasted grain. That may not seem like a big deal to us, but I'm going to tell you in ancient cultures, um, to say the very least, it was not customary for the powerful head of the house to serve anybody. But he breaks with custom in a deeply meaningful 
deeply symbolic act. And I would bet the house that everybody noticed. And then when the meal's over, he calls the young men to himself and he says, listen, I want you to make it even easier on her than it has been. I want you to let her go wherever she wants to go and not say a word to her. And I want you to pull out bundles and leave them behind for her to harvest. And do not give her any trouble over it. Well, church, there, there's a word, <laughs> there's a name for what's happening here. It's called hospitality. And I don't mean that, that word hospitality in any of the thin ways that we usually mean that word, like the hospitality industry or like an adjective to describe someone's really nice living room. I mean that word in the full-throated, red-blooded Christian meaning of that term. Christians have always used hospitality to mean the taking in of the other into the protection and care and love of the household of God. The taking in of the other into the protection, into the care, and into the love of the household of God. Using what we have to offer welcome in the name of God. <laughs> Listen, this is how a lot of people meet Jesus. <laughs> and a lot of people get to know who Jesus is. This is how a lot of people come to follow Jesus through the hospitality of God's people. You know, we're sitting in this beautiful building. You know what it's called? It's called a sanctuary. And you know, I'll be honest with you, most of the times when I say that word, I don't even think about what it means. But there is a reason that the church has always called the buildings she meets in sanctuaries. Because they are intended to be places of refuge and safety and welcome. That is the meaning of hospitality. And that's who we have been called to be. I mean, you just look at the life of Jesus. You just see that again and again, this is precisely how Jesus' way of being was in the world. He was always inviting the other into the welcome of the Father. I mean, I think about his interaction with Zacchaeus, you know, the, the tax collector that everybody loved to hate. You remember, he says, Zacchaeus, come, come down, and we're going to go to your house and eat together today. <laughs> I mean, he invites the outsider into his own home. And when Zacchaeus enters his own home, he enters it like he never has before. He enters it welcomed. Jesus welcomed the stranger, and Zacchaeus was made new that day. And this is what happens when people like us use the gifts and the influences and the resources that we have to welcome the other. Sometimes, sometimes it will be like Boaz did by removing the barriers that the other might have to their own safety and security and flourishing. You and I can show this particular kind of hospitality in all kinds of ways. I mean, I think of those of you in the congregation 
who teach English to people, who came here and didn't know a word of English. Do you understand the welcome of that? Do you understand the barrier that you knock down when you do that? Those of you who practice law, you can use your gifts, you can use your resources to work just outcomes for the vulnerable. If you can do that on the clock, great, but it doesn't have to be on the clock. Those of you in finance can play a part, can, can, can uh, make arguments <laughs> and make proposals that allow resources to get into the hands more easily of the people who really need it. Those of you who teach, you can teach with eyes and ears inclined, not only to those at the head of the class, but perhaps more importantly, to those who struggle with learning. I mean, do you understand the welcome this is? The barriers you knock down if you can help someone learn and of course, we can offer our own homes and our own bank accounts and our own time for those who need the welcome or safety or refuge. The pages of scripture just sing with this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So think about how you can do it. Ask God to show you the where of it and the who of it, and then follow after him in faith. So that's, that's how it happened. Boaz makes sure that it happens for Ruth. I mean, he's got the juice to do it, and he does it, and it's lavish. It makes me think of that uh, gospel lesson that we heard this morning where Jesus uh, doesn't just feed people, he feeds them till they're stuffed, and then there's a bunch left over. But why? Why does it happen? That's what I want us to get at. And you, you know, you can be sure that's precisely what Ruth wants to know. And that is at the heart of the story. In the middle of all of these things happening to her and for her, Ruth is overwhelmed and she falls to her face and she asks Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? And the beginning and the end of that answer is love. First, it is Ruth's love. This is where Boaz tells her, I know who you are. And I know what you've done. It's been fully told to me, he says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your own husband. And then he puts Ruth's action, he puts what Ruth has physically done in the most striking language, language that I think intentionally alludes to the story of Abraham, the father of the faith. He says, it's been told to me, I've heard the whole story, how you left your father and you left your mother and you left your native land and you came to a people you didn't know before. He knows that she has dealt kindly with Naomi at great cost to herself. And what he's saying is that her kindness, her hospitality has affected him. 
He's saying Ruth's love and Ruth's welcome and Ruth's hospitality has changed things in the world. But then Boaz uh, shifts to God's love. Now we might expect him to say, well, I'm, I'm showing kindness and favor to you because you showed kindness and, and favor to my relative. And of course, on some level, that has to be undeniably true, but that is not what Boaz says. He points to something also deeply true. What he says is that Yahweh is showing her favor. Yahweh is showing her kindness. God is repaying you for what you have done. A full reward not given by me, but by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz diminishes his role in the story. He is not the, the prime actor here. God is. He is simply the guy through whom God will work his love and kindness. It's God who wants to protect Ruth and through her Naomi. It's God who wants to deal kindly with them. Boaz's offer of protection is the means. It's incredible. And it's beautiful. And church, this is the why for people like you and me, too. This is why we're called to show hospitality. We show hospitality and refuge and safety and welcome as an extension of God's hospitality and refuge and safety and welcome. We get to be a part of his love. We get to be a part of his refuge. In fact, that's the life that people like us have been made for. <laughs> I mean, we have been welcomed. Uh, Jesus welcomed us at great cost to himself. Jesus welcomes us with the forgiveness of sins. He welcomes us with the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit. We have been welcomed. This is how Paul, the apostle, says it to his friends at the church in Rome. As Christ has welcomed you, welcome each other. In doing that, we invite people into the household of God. We invite people uh, into the refuge of his wings so that they can begin to know love like we have known love. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to be people who see and who believe. First, that we have been welcomed at great cost, that you have shown us kindness and favor and hospitality and refuge. Father, help us to believe that that is true, that that's who you are, that that is what you have done for us in Jesus. And then, Father, we ask that you would help us to live that refuge and safety and welcome out in this world, that we would show hospitality to strangers as an extension of your refuge. Father, do this so that we'll grow up in our own faith, 
so that we'll become stronger in our own faith and do this as a way to love this broken world through us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.